Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Euro Trip. We will get to today's episode very shortly, but first... James, my fellow co-host on this podcast, who is with me, we have some very exciting news. We do indeed, and it's pretty big news. We'll gloss over the fact that we could have had some exciting news last week, the fact that we actually met up in the last seven days, and for some reason, whatever reason that is, forgot to take a photograph, uh, which would have gone viral on the internet of all the hundreds of thousands of fans we've got um what an oversight that was i've gone well off track rob do you want to take over and just tell everybody what this amazing news is yeah i mean needless to say after what james has just said we didn't take a photo then which does mean that the james and rob 2022 calendar is potentially not gonna (laughs) happen this year but maybe that's something you can wait for 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 2023 no the exciting news is that we are finally taking the euro trip On a Euro trip, everybody. It's only taken us this long, but we're finally going on a Euro trip because officially we can say we're going to Paris for Junior Eurovision 2021. Honestly, how exciting is that? So as I try and quickly work that out in my head or with the help of my calendar, 14, 21, 28, in 29 days time, if you're listening on Wednesday, we will be live from Paris. That's right. We're going to bring you three special episodes live from the capital of love or the city of lights, as I think you called it last week. Yeah. Did you ever check that? No, I didn't. And I'm I'm not going to now either. But yeah, three special episodes from Paris of the Euro trip with me, with James, with some special guests. It's going to be lovely. So just mark your calendar for that one. Yes, please. But in the meantime, let's get on with today's episode of the Euro trip. As you know, Lassandra always said, take it away. Hi, we are Bobby Obeka Magnet, and you're listening to Eurotrip. But I don't close any doors. I love Eurovision, I love Berlin Festival, and it will always be a part of me. That night, I found myself live on Russian state television for, for Russia's Song for Europe. I said to Joe, send BBC Teenage Life 
Maybe two weeks later, I was at a press conference and I was on Making Your Mind Up. Everyone was like, Eldar, come, celebrate with us. The end of filming, they put honey on my face and I needed to be, you know, sexy with this honey on my face. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Euro Trip. 29 days, as James said, until we will be live from Paris, or as live as a podcast can ever be. But for now, you've got to put up with this week's episode. We've got loads of great Eurovision stuff coming up with me, Rob. Me, James. And this week, he is one half of a duo that have given Romania some of their best results in the history of the Eurovision Song Contest. It's Ovi. Off of Paula Selling and Ovi, or Ovi and Paula Selling, depending on which order you like to say them. Anyway, Ovi, with a complicated surname, will be joining us later. So, so exciting. And also, I think we're well overdue uh, an appearance from Ovi again, aren't we? 2010, 2014, I reckon we're about three to four years overdue. Are you saying that Ovi's like an eclipse? Yeah. Yes, I am. He comes (laughs) around. He's a bit like a leap year, but not falling in the correct years of an actual leap year. So not at all like a leap year at all. (laughs) As James said, 2010 with Playing With Fire, 2014 with Miracle. And yes, we are overdue, but it does sound like a Eurovision return could be in the offing. I do have some songs, particularly one or two, which uh, I think are pretty good. Of course, uh, they need more work on it. I know that Paula is deep inside she would like to and as well joining us today do you remember abba that lot who won eurovision back in 1974 well they've just gone to number one in the albums charts in pretty much every country i reckon and carl magnus palm will be joining us to chat all things abba a little bit later on too very very excited and slightly confused about the fact that you've just asked the listeners whether they remember abba (laughs) anyway (laughs) you're listening on acast on apple Podcasts and spotify this is the euro trip So it was in a town called Brighton in, in, in the south of the UK, 1974, and this four-piece from uh, from Sweden came along, they were called ABBA, and they sang a song called Waterloo. I, I've heard heard talk of it. I don't think I've ever heard it, but I have heard talk of it. Yeah, they've got, they did some other big songs as well, some good albums. I think they made like a stage show and then a film about them as well, so pretty big, actually. They kind of done much for a while, though, because I've not heard much about them. No, I don't know what they've been doing. Yeah, Are they like they're like a Swedish manishkin, would you say? Yeah, I reckon so. You know, won the contest and then I think they became big or something like that anyway, but we'll uh, chat more about them later, I reckon. Very excited to hear more about that unknown group, ABBA, later on in the podcast. Yeah, should be very exciting. But for a moment, can we look back at last week's episode of the podcast? We had a very exciting guest, also from Sweden, of course, Anna Bergendahl. Love that segue, Rob, but uh, you're rubbing off on me. I'm getting all your good skills here. Like a Christmas dinner from one Swede to another. What? You don't have Swede with your Christmas dinner. Oh, anyway, don't. (laughs) Rob, enough. Anna Bergendahl, of course, joined us last week on the podcast for a chat. And it's safe to say, as our guests always do, and we love it when they do this, made you come out with loads of great comments. You were listening in your 
hundreds of thousands and millions, and you all got in touch. Um, and I'm going to read some out now. <laughs> always been, always been a big fan of hyperbole. You, haven't you? yeah, yeah, yes, indeed, I have. One of my favourite words, hyperbole. Um, Just ask James's girlfriend. <laughs> Uh, let's start with this one from uh, Signaturesque, great Twitter username, thanks for getting in touch, saying, I hope she knows she was amazing and she was very close to qualifying and one day she'll return and get the final she deserves. Uh, yeah, you weren't the only one to agree with that as well because we got another tweet as well uh, from Europinions, I've translated this one, hope I get this right, uh, saying, uh, you give them uh, revenge in Melody Festival in 2023. You are warned. I don't know if that's a threat from you there, your opinions on Twitter, but I think it's safe to say there's so many of you who would love to see uh, Anna Bergendahl return to Melfest when she's not busy doing her medical studies. Let's hope for that in some time soon. Yeah, that was a fun story, wasn't it, that we got on the podcast last week? If you haven't heard that, go listen back for the reason why Anna Bergendahl will not be in Melfest 2022. James alluded to it there. She's doing something very, very important with her studies. But now, everybody listening... James, I can't even express how much you need to stop doing what you're currently doing to listen to what I'm about to say, because we have received the best email that I've ever seen in my life. And we have received some very good emails over the last few weeks with some very exciting guests that we will be bringing you very soon on the podcast. But this is the best email we've ever received. James, shall I go on? Honestly, Say no more words. Well, actually, you're going to have to say a lot more words, but just say the words to do with this email because it's very, very fun. It is very fun. And Martin, if you're listening, I cannot express how grateful we are and how much we enjoyed your email. Uh, So Martin emailed, Hi, guys. I was listening to your podcast last week and was alarmed to discover that even so early in the new series, you hadn't been keeping track of who was doing better in the one second song. He's not wrong, is Martin. We have not been keeping track. Martin goes on. You couldn't even remember two weeks back to James confusing Johanna with Sylvia Gutenberg. <laughs> ah, a one second song classic. One could almost believe that it didn't matter. How dare you, Martin? Of course the one second song matters. Well, Martin has taken things into his own hands. And he says, because I'm a strange man and people not caring about points bothers me far more than it should... I thought I'd make you a little table. And Martin has made us a spreadsheet so that we can never again forget how we're currently doing in the one second song. So this table, we've got different columns. We've got obviously me and James, and then we've got how many we've played. We've got then the breakdown of the points. So the year, the country, the artist, and the song, and the total score. So anyway, Martin's added these all up, which tells us that right now the scores as we speak are... I'm on four, and you're on eight, which is a big lead for you. That is a big lead, but I will come clean, because there is a part of the email where I think he says, uh, your songs have been easier, or the ones you've chosen for me have actually been easier. So you've had an easier ride than I've had, so I'll, I'll give you that one. But yeah, Martin, honestly, cannot express how grateful we are for your email, and if you, like Martin, would like to send us an email like that, and we will get very excited about it, and we probably will read it out on the podcast, give me an email about anything you like, really. Hello at Eurotrippodcast.com, and we'll have a look. And please, honestly, Martin, get back in touch with anything else like that, because we'd love to hear from you and everybody else as well.
know by now, that sound of course means it's time for us to round up all the latest news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. Thankfully, it's going to be Rob's turn to update you, and thankfully I've not written it for him, so we should get a pretty concise update on what's been happening over the last seven days. If you don't know what we're talking about and you'd like to listen to that car crash edition of the Eurovision News Roundup, then listen to our episode from a couple of weeks ago when James had to read some sentences beautifully constructed by myself, which he then absolutely butchered on that episode. So uh, go back and have a listen to that if you haven't already. Now, of course, it is the middle of November, which means we are getting more and more news by the day. Of course, Junior Eurovision not very far away now. James mentioned it there. We will soon be bringing you this podcast live from Paris, as live as a podcast ever can be. You know what we mean. Anyway, the Junior Eurovision news as we have it. Nicolas Kajaya has been selected to represent Georgia at the Junior Eurovision Song Contest 2021. He came out as the winner after a 10-show selection process. Georgia taking Junior Eurovision very seriously. It was later announced that he'll sing the song Let's Count the Smiles in Paris, which sounds like some sort of dental anthem. It's nice, isn't it? Italy ascending rock to Eurovision again, or Junior Eurovision at least. Elisabetta Lisa will sing the song Specio or Specchio, brackets, mirror on the wall at the song contest in Paris. Uh, Azuri Eurovision News website 12XAL. I've reported that Sonia Azizova will perform a pop song in Paris. Big fan of a pop song. Excellent job, Azerbaijan. Uh, she participated in the first season of The Voice Kids Azerbaijan earlier in the year, where she finished second. A whole host of other songs have also been revealed. It's also been announced that Iceland will broadcast the contest for the first time since 2003. So who knows? Maybe they could be making their debut in the contest next year. We live in hope. And also the hosts of the Junior Eurovision Song Contest have been revealed today. That is, of course, Wednesday. Now, big American Song Contest news came out on Friday. The news being that it will premiere on Monday, the 21st of February, 2022, during a two-hour primetime extravaganza on NBC. Now, the contest, as we know already, will feature original music performances representing all 50 states, five US territories, and the nation's capital, with artists competing to win the title of Best Original Song in the big live final. Now to Eurovision News, and Circus Mercus have been announced. We have another act for Turin. The Georgian broadcaster announced that they will represent Georgia, of course, at the contest next year. Now, Circus Mercus were a group formed in Tbilisi in 2020 by three Circus Academy dropouts, which sounds fascinating. Uh, they have, over the past year, released 10 music videos and grown a big following within Georgia. And I think we can guarantee it's going to be a bit weird. In Israel, the committee that will select the songs that will compete to represent them at Eurovision 2022 has begun its work. It's going to be a six-member committee that will pick those songs. They are formed of the director of the Israeli broadcasters' radio stations, as well as three other radio representatives, a TV representative, and a representative of Rashid 13. No, I don't know what that is either. Uh, Esti Lau have announced the names of the hosts for Saturday's opening quarterfinal. That's right, Esti Lau starts this week. Uh, Tanel Padar and Ida Ines Eti will be the presenters of the show. Uh, Tanel, of course, best known for winning Eurovision in 2001 alongside boy band 2XL and friend of the podcast, Dave Benton. And uh, Ida Ines Etia. 
definitely saying her name wrong, represented Estonia at Eurovision in 2000, where she finished fourth. And finally, we've been teasing this, this unknown Swedish group, ABBA. They're back on top of the UK album chart. Voyage is the fastest selling album of 2021 so far in the UK and is their 10th number one album in this country. Whew. Blame you, O'Reilly. Never have I been more glad to hear the words, and finally. (laughs) (laughs) You and the listeners both, I imagine. That was far longer than I thought it was going to be, but just proves, doesn't it? Things are heating up nicely. Yeah, it's all starting to kick off a little bit more. And very quickly, let me touch on the American Song Contest. It's going to premiere, as you say, on February the 21st. That is going to be very, very exciting to see how that develops between now and then. Finally, we've got a date to put in the diary. We've got a date to put in the diary, and as we learned earlier on, I have the email address of Krista Bjorkman's PA, so we're all good, maybe. Who knows? Be great to get him back on. Yeah, let's soon see. If there's anything we can bring you up to date on, we will endeavour to do our very best. But as Rob, uh, due to a close with the news, you're speaking about ABBA, that Swedish band that won Eurovision back in 1974 that has a recent comeback. I'm now going to get rid of this whole facade about the fact that nobody knows what ABBA is. Everybody, we know you know who ABBA is, of course you do. But as we say, they are back on top of the album charts, definitely in the UK. You know for sure, Rob, how many other countries they're on top of the album charts of. When you say for sure, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say lots. Lots, definitely a number. It's unquantifiable, it's so big, uh, because of their new album, Voyage, that they released last week. And we thought, we've got to talk about them on the podcast, because I don't think we've ever spoken about ABBA here on the Eurotrip. So we've decided to invite along Carl Magnus Palm. He's a Swedish author, and he is the biggest ABBA expert you could find. He's the author of the authorised ABBA biography, and he's also contributed to the ABBA Museum in Stockholm as well. So naturally, we're going to speak about ABBA's brand new album, Voyage. And I began by asking him for his thoughts on the group's renewed success. The reaction overall has been uh, overwhelmingly great, it seems to me. I mean, it's number one everywhere, or if it isn't number one, it's number two or number four or something, you know, really, really good chart positions. Uh, The reviews have been mixed, but I think, you know, uh, more good reviews than bad ones, and you know, it's it's just it's yeah, it's been it's been sensational. I think, yeah. Were you expecting a mixed bag of reviews? Because naturally, you're never going to impress everybody. You're still going to get some people who disagree or don't like things as much. Were you expecting a bit of a mixed bag like this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it wouldn't have been a proper ABBA album release if if the reviews hadn't been mixed, I don't think. You know, it was always like that uh, back in the 70s. Um, you know, they got some really great reviews, but they also really... They got also got some really terrible reviews, like people thought they shouldn't be allowed to exist almost, you know. You've been covering ABBA, writing about them for, what is it, around coming up 30 years or so now, isn't it, Carl? Yeah, that's correct. Is this one of probably the biggest moment that you've seen whilst you've been covering that over the last three decades? Yeah, I would guess so. You know, a comeback album <laughs> that pretty much beats everything, I think. Um, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, when I started doing this, I 
even then I never thought they would get back together again. You know, I never, I never really had that dream or that um, expectation or anything. So for this to happen now is, is for me, it feels, it still feels unreal. And what was it like for you when you heard that news for the first time that, or maybe you started to hear little rumors here and there before any of us, what was it like when you started to hear that they were making a comeback? Yeah, it, it was, oh, really? I mean, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it or hear it, as the case might be. <laughs> I, was, I was just, no, no, that can't be right, that they're doing an album. Uh, and then it turned out that it was, and I was just blown away. And I'm still blown away. It's been more than two months since we learned that they, since it was confirmed that they had done that album. And I still feel it's like, is this is this a dream? Am I going to wake up from this one day and someone's going to say, oh no, that was only a dream? Uh, it still feels very very surreal that it that it happened. What are some of the standout tracks for you on that album? I'm sure you've listened to it, goodness knows how many times already, Carl, but I still have faith in you and Don't Shut Me Down with the first two releases uh, a while back. Are those the standout tracks for you on the album? Um, well, at least Don't Shut Me Down. Uh, Don't Shut Me Down, I think, is, is the standout track on the album. Uh, but there are, I mean, there are no tracks that I actually dislike or, you know, uh, some tracks that I like more than, a little bit more than others. I mean, there's this uh, rocker, if you want to call it that, uh, no doubt about it, with, with Freedom on lead vocals, which, uh, you know, her singing on that is, uh, is amazing. So that, that's one of the standout tracks for me. Uh, one of the one of the songs that I thought was a bit hokey, maybe first, you know, the um, uh, when you dance with me, uh, which is kind of, you know, with an Irish thing uh, on it. I've, I've come to love. Um, I really I really love it now. I think Ode to Freedom is a is a beautiful, beautiful um, song. The closing track Um well, I could go on. You you asked me for, for one or two <laughs> favorites, and I, I I'm, I'm I'm going through the, the track list. Uh, but no, no, I think there there's much to enjoy in this album, as as there ever was with the, with the ABBA album. It's it's really varied, and you you get all sorts of stuff on it. It's safe to say you enjoyed it. That's that's the main thing, isn't it? Now, just take us back a little bit because the new album or full album, should I say, wasn't always the original plan was it for ABBA for the comeback no no um it started out they were doing this digital avatar concert thing that we that's gonna open in in London uh in May next year so they had committed to doing that and they were excited about that and Okay, so what are these digital avatars going to do? Well, they're going to do the greatest hits and a few old album tracks. But then they felt, well, wouldn't it be more valid if we also had a couple of new songs? Or Bjorn and Benny felt that. And they they phoned up uh, the two ladies, Agnes and Frida, and asked them, would you be interested in recording two new songs? And much to their surprise, they said, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's do that. So uh, so and 
then they recorded those tracks uh, in 2017 and a year later it was announced to the world we recorded two new tracks and it's for this new show okay great uh but then they felt themselves you know that was kind of fun we enjoyed ourselves in the studio shouldn't we record you know two or three more tracks maybe so at least we have an like an ep to release oh so they did that and that went well they enjoyed the experience and then they just decide well why not do an entire album and so they say yeah yeah let's do that it sounds so simple when i when i tell the story like that but apparently it was that simple you know it just happened organically because they enjoyed it and uh, and all of a sudden there was there was an entire album there and next may is just going to be extraordinary or for however long it lasts because it's it's difficult to put into perspective really isn't it the fact that abba now have their very own dedicated arena now what's that going to be like yeah, who knows? I mean, they 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 are still a bit cagey about it. The, 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 what it what it's actually going to be like, but it, um, from what I understand, each and every song is going to have its own identity. You know, its own visual identity. There's going to be stage banter. The, you know, the, there's going to be dialogue from the ABBA members in their digital shapes. There are live musicians playing along with with ABBA singing so you get you get a, like a mix of real live human beings on stage and then the digital versions of the avatars um they apparently worked a lot with with you know with lights lights and lighting apparently is a very very important part of of this thing so i mean i haven't seen it yet obviously um Will it feel like you're gonna you're seeing ABBA live? They claim that it's gonna be like that. You, you're gonna get the feeling that you're seeing them live. I'm thinking that maybe it's gonna be a completely new kind of uh, of experience, so to speak. You know, uh, a mix between the live and the digital in a way that we haven't seen before, and that in itself is very exciting. I'm 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 really looking forward to to seeing what they what they've come up with. Now, Carl, I'm going to wrap it up now, but we can't end without talking about the word Eurovision, of course, here on a Eurovision podcast. Uh, Benny and Bjorn on the BBC last week were asked about potentially writing a song for the contest. I don't think there's any point of us really taking that any seriously, is there really? No, probably not. I mean, but, but, you know, stranger things have happened. You know, one of them being that ABBA got to get got back together again, <laughs> recorded an album. So who knows? But that, I mean, that seemed to be just uh, just a bit of, of a conversation during that interview. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But hey, we'll see. We certainly will. Carl Magnus Palm, thank you so much for joining us here on the Eurotrip. My pleasure. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. That's right, this is indeed the Eurotrip Podcast, the biggest, most listened to Eurovision podcast in the world. But you knew that already, because you're already here. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. And don't forget, you can tweet us at Eurotrip Podcast. Or you can send us a message on email, hello at eurotrippodcast.com, just like Martin did, as we heard earlier on. God love Martin. Martin is my star listener for today. I'm maybe going to start doing that. Should we start 
giving a star listener out? Maybe not. I feel like somebody else is already doing that, but let's do it as well. Yeah, let's do it. Martin, you're the first one to be inducted into the Star Listener Club here on episode number, whatever episode number we want to do. Anyway, well done, Martin. If you don't count bonuses, this is actually episode number 50. Uh, well, that, that's quite a landmark. And if you do count bonuses, I reckon it's touching 70 or 80 or something like that. But who knows? Yeah, if you do count bonuses, then God help us all. I don't know. We've done a lot of them, as you as you already know, everybody. I tell you who does know. Martin. Martin will know how many episodes we've done. <laughs> Martin, can we have a new spreadsheet, please? <laughs> anyway... Last week, at this point in the episode, Rob decided to chat a little bit about ESC 250. Of course, that big, how do you describe it, a compilation of everybody's favourite Eurovision songs that get announced at New Year time. You could call it that, or you could call it what it is, which is a vote. A vote! A vote! That is the (laughs) correct term. It's a vote to find out the world's favourite 250 Eurovision songs of all time, and we find out at New Year. And last week, Rob decided to choose where his 12 points would go to if he was only allowed to choose artists who have been on the podcast. Remind us who you chose. So as you said there, we can only go on artists that have featured on the podcast. So I picked Armenia's 2016 Eurovision representative, Iveta Mikuchian, with Love Wave, which is an absolute banger. Honestly, well, obviously, I picked it. One of my favourite Eurovision songs of all time. But this week, it's up to you. It is. So earlier on today, I was going through the podcast feed and finding out all the names who are featured uh, here on the podcast. There's been some cracking names. It is great to just scroll back through and look at some of the amazing names we've had on the podcast. It's uh, really, really good to look at. And make sure you do that if you are one of the new listeners around here. Uh, One of the first ones that I saw, uh, Dave Benton, of course. Honestly, that is a great song. And that does explain, Rob, why I sent you a message earlier on to say I found a BBC documentary about Estonia in 2001. Now you know why I was looking at that. And to be honest with you, because my immediate response to your message saying that was, busy day, is it? (laughs) But it proved how busy my day clearly wasn't, uh, because I then watched about 15 minutes of said documentary about Estonia winning Eurovision in 2001. It was very interesting. Yeah, very good. I've decided not to go for that as much as I want to. Andreas Mamontovas then popped up. Of course, he was one of the members of LT United for Lithuania in 2006. I then came across Damiem. Oh, nearly chose Damiem. But instead, I've decided to choose somebody from the 2021 contest. Rob, you've got three seconds to guess. Go. Embers. James Newman. It is not, sadly. It... (laughs) Uh, but it is the act who came second at this year's contest, Barbara Pravi for France with Voila. Could have spotted that a mile off, actually, if I'd given it any thought. Yeah, you know how much I love French music. You should have just guessed immediately. Who have we had from France on the podcast? Barbara Pravi, it must be her. Honestly, if you stuck me on the stage when we're in Paris for Junior Eurovision and I sung Happy Birthday in French, I reckon you'd <laughs> give it 12 points. 
There's no denying, though, Barbara Pravi with Voila this year is a tremendous song. And that's where my 12 points for ESC 250 are going, if I was only allowed to choose artists from the podcast. It's an intriguing game, isn't it? So do let us know. And I appreciate you got a lot on because you're probably, you know, if you haven't already wanting to try and work out what songs you're going to vote for in the actual ESC 250. But while you do that, let us know who is your Eurotrip ESC 250 favourite song, if that makes any sense at all. Mine was Yvette Makuchian. James's was Barbara Pravi. Let us know yours at Eurotrip Podcast on the Twitter and the Instagram or hello at EuroTripPodcast.com on the email. This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. It is indeed the Eurotrip with me, James and Rob, as always. And it's now the time of the podcast where we're going to speak to a big guest. Normally, it's somebody who has represented their country at the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, I don't know why I said that, because it is as well this week. Rob, who we got? I thought you were going to say, normally, it's somebody who represented their country at the Eurovision Song Contest in 2010, as it has been (laughs) for the last two weeks, and is again today, by sheer coincidence. That's right, today we are joined by one half of the duo that finished third at Eurovision in 2010 for Romania. It is Ovi, off of Paula Selling and Ovi, or Ovi and Paula Selling, as I said. Not really sure what order they come in. They're not quite like Ant and Deck, are they, Paula Selling and Ovi? Although I did learn during the interview that they do have their own television show in Romania, which I imagine is an incredible watch. Yes, James, you're right. I have caught your attention and you've thrown me off because your facial expression to that news was quite distracting. <laughs> hey, uh, apologies. I'll talk for about another seven seconds about circular pianos and then you are well on track to continue talking about Ovi. Perfect, thanks. Although it's also reminded me that Ellen Nicky off of Azerbaijan do like the breakfast TV show in Azerbaijan, don't they? Anyway, Eurovision, Eurovision duos love a TV show. When's our? When's when are we getting one? Do you know? Anyway, yes. Anyway, Ovi off of Paula Sagan Ovi. I'm just going to stop saying that. Ovi, who represented <laughs> Romania at Eurovision in 2010 and 2014, is the guest on the podcast this week. Naturally. We've got loads to talk about. I didn't realise until I started doing my research for the interview that he is also a two-time Melody Grand Prix representative as well. He tried to represent Norway in 2006 and even featured in the Melody Grand Prix Grand Final alongside Alexander Ryback and Fairy Tale in 2009. That's right. You learn something every day or every time you listen to this podcast, or at least me and James do anyway. We don't know very much. Let's get started, though, because there is so much to talk about, including Ovi's time in Norway, Ovi's time at the two Eurovisions he's been to. And could he represent Romania yet again? We'll find out later on what he thinks about that. But I started by asking him whether he was always destined for a career in music. That's the only thing I ever thought I would do. Since I was a little kiddo, I knew that my, my father was an engineer, but he, I'm born in a city north in Romania, north part of, in north part of Romania, and, and I very shortly, but he, he had also a band, uh, like a hobby band in, in my hometown. And I remember me waiting around four o'clock in the afternoon when he would come from work and singing uh, basically that famous song at the time, uh, We Are The World, you know. And I was impersonating almost everybody in that song, hoping, hoping that he would come and say, hey, listen up, boy, you got some 
talent. You've got a good voice. Uh, let's do something about it. Well, he, he never did that. But my mother really felt that I was very passionate about music. And um, so she put me in all this, you know, music schools and everything. So that's the only thing I've ever done. You, uh, you alluded to it before, and I'm interested because I spoke to Adrius Mamontovas, who uh, did Eurovision for Lithuania, and he was talking about what it was like being a musician in the Soviet era, of course. So I'm intrigued to find out what it was like being a musician and wanting to pursue that career kind of pre-revolution in Romania. What was that like? Well, we, we as I mentioned earlier, I, I got my first prize in a singing contest on on a known singing contest festival uh, during the communist era. Uh, if, if one thing was good, it's because they, they arranged all these festivals, you know, it was part of propaganda. I don't know who gives a shit basically, but for young talent, it was a, a, an opportunity to be on a stage, to be in an organized festival kind of it, you know, and, and, and to start learning how to compete. Uh, which I did several, and I have got my prizes there. And, and doing that so early also, again, you know, prepares it for things which can become bigger, which would be Eurovision eventually in our case. So that was an interesting thing to do during the communist years. On the other side, we were, we didn't have the chance to go in a music store to buy a Beatles album that he couldn't. He only had... Romanian music, maybe some Russian shit and, and some Italian. That's, but within, you know, the, uh, the music industry people were people you knew, somebody has probably traveled abroad and had a cassette with Stevie Wonder or whatever, you know? So I was like, really, when he got the chance to listen to some Western music was very cool. I was very attracted very early to the Western music. Um, so it was a it was a mixture of shortage of information, but at the same time some opportunities, which I was lucky to grab them at the time. Now, of course, our listeners will know you as representing Romania twice, of course, at the Eurovision Song Contest. But there is, of course, the the huge part of your career, which is which is Norway. Of course, was it ninety five that you made the move over to Norway? At the time, I was more like a musician. I like uh, I didn't have a career in that sense. Uh, you know, building up my skills as a piano player, keyboardist, and a singer. And I said yes. So that happened. That I mean, I had an opportunity to continue earning money. Uh, you know, there was nothing to do in Romania at the time. Really, it was you know the first ten years after the communism it was chaos more or less. So uh, I said yes, and that when Norway happened, the first years I was just playing in a band, you know, duo, three or three or something like that. Uh, but later on, when I got in 2001, I decided, okay, now it's, I had enough of uh, living in a hotel in a suitcase every month here, one month there. I was uh, looking forward to have family and found my wife, which we just celebrated not so long ago, 20 years since we've been together. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, that's when I got the chance to, to settle down, to start 
you know, enjoying the regular life and, and that also triggered the more professional approach to music. And in 2006, I already had some material and I think I wrote a, one of the songs at the time called Once in a Lifetime. So I had a manager in Norway, which believed in me. Like I said, in all my life, I met the right people. I was pretty lucky. So he actually invested in me as well uh, to make the first album. Uh, we went to LA. Uh, it was a disaster. Not what things, I mean, it was excited to be, exciting to be in LA, but the whole album was the shit more or less, I mean, it, that's a lot of reasons behind that. I'm not gonna make the, the whole story, but the point is that we came home with some shitty productions and shitty whatever album, if you could call that. Uh, so I actually took a loan on my house in 2006 and I said to the manager, sorry, you used a lot of money, but if I put out this album in Norway with the level of music in Norway, and artists, nobody's gonna listen to me and we're gonna die from, from the beginning. When your own money is on the line, that's when it becomes yeah. incredibly serious, make or break, it's gotta be now or never. Yeah. And, and, and the producer at the time, I remember he was like, even when playing with Fire, you have to know a short story. We, we've tried for three days, I booked him, it was not cheap. That was on, on the side of the first album that I already paid him and I, because I was in Norway already in Eurovision in 2006 with one song, which I didn't write, but uh, I didn't wrote, but uh, it was the better side of me. That was my first appearance on a, on a Eurovision stage. And the second one in 2009, when I went from the semifinals directly to the finals with uh, Alexander Rybak, which won that year, the whole thing. And for me, you know, and almost like an immigrant remaining to, to become so far, so fast, you know, into that. That was cool. If we go back to your, your Melody Grand Prix experiences, of course, you mentioned 2006, you didn't write the song, but 2009, you get to the grand final in Melody Grand Prix and you're up against Alexander Reback. What was that like? At the time, did you realise how huge Fairy Tale could become? Obviously, as someone knowing as much about music as you do, did you think that that song had all of the aspects and all of the criteria that could make it such a successful song? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I could see it on, we, we were competitors in, on that stage in, in the semifinal in Xi'an in Norway. And uh, even though I had a label behind me at the time already, I had some good people some, that supported me. I could see that the, the guy stood, stood out of, uh, from, from, from the, rest of the, the rest of us. And your song that year, Seven Seconds, does that hold a special a special part for you? Does that hold special memories for you? Because it was, as you mentioned, the song that put you to the forefront of the Norwegian public and set you on the rest of that path for the rest of your career. Yeah, it did. Uh, it, was very, it was very nice because, <laughs> funny story, when I came to Norway, uh, I remember uh, in 95, 96, I've heard a band on the radio which is called, was called D-Sound and with a lead singer called Simone. And, I'm, and over the years, all the way to that point in 2009, I was a big fan of D-Sound. And suddenly here I am meeting her husband, Simon, Simon Eriksrud, which produced my album and playing with fire uh, being her husband. And I got introduced and she said yes to 
co-write a song with me on the uh, on the first album, on the debut album, and that is where that's when the 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 label in in Oslo decided to let let's try ourselves in Eurovision with this song. It's cool. It fits you. You have all these elements with the piano. You want to be the new Billy Joel, whatever. So uh, that was a major thing for me, and it was another lucky moment for me as an artist to to meet the right people. As I said from the beginning, and to to have the privilege and yeah to meet Simone, which is a fantastic singer and and songwriter as well, and of course that as I said triggered the uh, the record deal that I I signed in 2009, and a few other good things. Now 2010, of course, playing with fire such a successful song, a song that is so loved by Eurovision fans across the globe. You mentioned that you, of course, you know, we know we know that the 2010 contest, you knew beforehand that the contest was going to be organised in Oslo, in Norway, of course. Is it safe to say that if the contest hadn't been in Norway, you wouldn't have entered that year or you wouldn't have tried as hard to get to get a song into Eurovision in 2010? You could say that. I mean, I, I calculated a little cynical all this steps, you know, because of me being in the national final in Norway and because I got a record deal. And I, I mean, I took all the steps, you know, towards something. And, and it was an opportunity that I didn't want to, to lose. Uh, and even if probably I would have not come to Romania for that Golden Stag Festival the same year in September 2009, meeting Paula and proposing the Playing With Fire collaboration for Romania to represent eventually the country in Oslo, I would have probably been pushed by my record label due to the 2009 participation to try again, hey, you showed your face to Norwegian public, 2010 Norway, Let's do it. Let's try it. So I would probably have done it anyway. So yeah, it was a kind of calculated uh, move from me to to do that. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So it's it's all ifs and buts. But and I'm putting these words in your mouth. You could have represented Norway at Eurovision 2010. It could have happened, maybe. I mean, the song was. It's probably proof. It's a good song, playing with fire. Maybe it wouldn't, have been, it wouldn't have been Paul, I would have been somebody else, I don't know. But, you know, this is all, so faith has put it that way. So, but like I said, yeah, I would have probably worked hard to, to do that. But who knows? I mean, I was very pushed in the studio at the time to, when I was in the process of writing Playing Fire to write this specifically for two singer-songwriters slash pianists and you know and then when you're in that process then you you're thinking a concept you 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 want to bring in the piano more you know you want to bring more elements that are should surround that concept or if otherwise would have been a Norwegian artist that I would have been participating with along or maybe alone that would have been a different song I don't know so, two quick questions 
from me. Uh, the first one, what was Paula's reaction when she heard playing with fire for the first time? She loved ballads, man. I mean, so she, she wanted always to shine on ballads. So she was, I don't think she was that used with, with a very pop, uh, almost plastic production style because we really went hard on, you know, making everything less organic in the production and, and, and much more pop. You listen, you, it could be a Britney Spears song. I don't know, you know, stuff like that. Uh, with a song, you have different ways of approaching the production and everything. So I think it was a little too mechanical for her, the whole idea, you know, and boy, 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 you know, and all that. So I don't, I, I remember at the time she was an, her manager, they were happy, but not that happy. And I had to really do some work on uh, over talking her and telling her, hey, listen, maybe it's a good thing for you to come out of your comfort zone and surprise the audience with your, with a cat suit. Damn it. The result, of course, in the grand final must have been pure joy. Third place, Romania. Is, does that surpass any of your expectations going into it? Time, yeah, it did. Because we we knew that this was, I mean, it's huge. It's the whole Europe. And, and you need points from everybody. Everybody needs to like you somehow. Even if they give you two points, three points. I mean, this is how you coming up on the ranking. You, you don't expect 12 points from Moldova. Good evening, Oslo. Unforgettable night tonight and an amazing atmosphere here in Moldova, all thanks to you. And finally, our 12 points go to Romania. Thank you, Moldova. You need to, to impress everybody somehow. Uh, and the fact that our performance, the song and whatever we achieved on the stage during those three minutes, gave made people to to vote us that I think that's that's the main achievement uh, right then there when you you see that you coming up on the rankings and like okay what I, you know that that's a little surreal but the moment of you know, during being in a green room and seeing that somebody gives you points and gives you points and gives you points, that, 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 that's a, uh, you know, it's a really, it's a proof that, okay, we did something right with our, with whatever we've tried to, to achieve. Uh, I don't know if you know, we, we, we were like two points behind, behind Turkey, Turkey, weren't you? Yeah. Turkey. And that's because Romania gave more points and Turkey gave Romania less points, <laughs> which was a two points difference. So if Romania knew that, then it would have said, okay, guys, we want to be in second place. It is actually Romania that made us lose <laughs> the, the second place. Of course, you go back to Eurovision again with Paula four years later. What Was it always the intention after the experience that you'd had in 2010, you wanted to go back to Eurovision, that you'd enjoyed yourself so much that that was something you wanted to, to try again and to go once more? 
I felt that we had more to say. I'm even saying it today. I don't think we're done with that. Uh, once you get, you know, blood on your hands, you want more. You want to win the whole thing. Romania never won. Of course, we got also pushed up by the expectations in Romania. I, you guys, you did the best, and you too. We proved over the years that we our collaboration states uh, um, and our friendship stayed, you know, and, and many acts probably they would fight, they would split, we didn't. Uh, so, and, and it was still the best thing I did as a songwriter and as an artist, and it was an, an, an enormous platform to of exposure for me as an artist and for Paul as well. So uh, why not try it again? So we have with the thought that we probably, if we could do it, we could, maybe we could even win the whole thing. So it's a combination of all these things, but uh, once you get into the circus, you, it's hard to come out. If I only knew all the things you could tell me, we could be dancing stars in the night. It's a miracle It's a miracle I can see it now Of course, at the semi-finals in, in 2014, when you get there, you're the runners-up in the semi-final. You're, you're runner-up in your semi behind Conchita, who of course goes on to win the contest. Uh, but in the grand final, I think you, you placed 12th. So was that a surprise that you weren't able to repeat the success in the semi-final in the grand final. You, you said it. I don't know what happened. I mean, I, we know that looking on the EBU site, website, some of the judges voted us, gave us maximum points in the semi-final. And the same judges gave us almost none in the final. For me, it was a little bit of surprise to, to see how somebody can change its attitude so quick. I don't think we sucked that much in the final compared to the semi-final. You said earlier on that for you, you and Paula, your Eurovision is not done. What does that mean? Can we can we expect you back? Because we'd love to have you both back on the stage. Getting old, man. <laughs> we're getting old. No, we don't. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, we... I do have some songs, particularly one or two, which uh, I've, I think are pretty good. Of course, uh, they need more work on it. I know that Paula is deep inside. She would like to. I could bet on that. I know her husband doesn't want to, but I mean, time will show. All these things have to be timed properly. You have to kind of smell it. Is it the right time? What happens in the national final here? Who, you know, first of all, you have to have the song. And if the third time we will participate, it has to be a killer. It has to be bigger than whatever we did. Then we have to like really go in strong and at least wish we would feel that, man, this is it, you know? Um, and that's harder and harder to achieve, I think, nowadays because there's a huge amount of great songwriters, great artists as well. I'm just listening to, to this other 
national competitive selections as a jury member. I hear great songs and great artists and great vocalists, you know, performers. Yeah, with the right amount of all these things, all, if the puzzle is in, in place, probably would say yes, but I don't have anything to give you like, yes, we're going, no, we're not there yet. But we dream, uh, dream and work a bit on it. The puzzle might be complete in Turin. If that's the case, we'd, we'd be glad to be on that stage, man. See you, see you there. If, but there's a uh, there's few things to be done before we uh, we say that. In 2014, I remember I was maybe overzealous in thinking that we're gonna go, gonna win, you know. So I've kind of tried uh, to, you know, cool down a bit more you know i know probably even more how the industry works how the whole thing works and and what it takes for for somebody to win the whole thing it's not just a song and whatever you put on the stage you know you, you, there's little more than that and um i wouldn't say i'm more skeptical but i'm uh, i'm more realistic Ovi, it's been so good to, to chat to you. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Good luck with everything that you've got planned for the rest of the year. And we can't wait to, to hear more from you. So, so thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure and always, uh, always a pleasure to speak with you guys, especially crazy fans of Eurovision. Wonderful to hear Ovi there at the end chatting about his love for the Eurovision fans. And he's not the only one because even just as recently as last week with Anna Bergendahl, she said exactly the same. And that's probably one of the main themes that runs through all of our chats with previous artists from uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, that they always talk about how much they love the fans. They don't realise how big or important they're going to be before they enter. But as soon as they get involved, it's an integral part of the experience. They're part of the club, aren't they? That's the thing. That's the great thing about the Eurovision Song Contest. Once you've done it, you, you can't <laughs> escape it. Love it or loathe it. But no, as you've said, all of the apps we have been lucky enough to talk to on this podcast all seem to absolutely love it. And it was brilliant to have Ovi on. And very interesting. I think it is definitely clear from everything he's just said there that he would like to return to Eurovision again in the future. Hopefully he can get Paula along as well. And who knows? Third time lucky is what they say, isn't it? So... Maybe Ovi and Paula Selling can bring Romania their first ever Eurovision victory. Who knows? But now, before we wrap up today's episode of the podcast, let's not forget Martin's Spreadsheet. It's time for the one second song, everybody. We've talked about it enough, but if you are new around here, let's quickly explain. We take in turns each week to play the very first second of a Eurovision song, and all we have to do is try and guess what the song is, who the artist is, which year it took part in the contest and which country it represented. And this week, it's Rob's turn to play us all the very first second of a song. Indeed. Now, from Martin's email, you mentioned it earlier on, he seemed to allude that he thought my selections for you had been a little bit easy. So I think this week, this is quite tricky, but we will find out, I suppose. So for you and for the listeners at home, here is this week's One Second Song. Oh, that's agonising. That is so agonising. His eyes are closed, his hands are on his head, he's grimacing. Want it again? <laughs> yes, please, let's play it one more time. I don't know what to say to you, Rob, because those, what was it, three notes are recognisable, just not to the extent of where I can tell you anything about it. 
I guarantee there are people listening right now going, I know what that is. Oh, I know there is. There's definitely is people saying exactly that. Oh, I'm wondering why I'm struggling so much with it. Am I going to have to just do a James Earl classic? I think I might, you know. I'm excited. That's always my favourite thing. A James Earl classic, for those of you that don't know, is uh, where James seems to, from the recesses of his mind, uh, make up uh, an artist and a song and a year and all sorts. So, So hopefully we've got that to look forward to. I'm going to say it is oh, Denmark 2007. No, not 2007, because I know what that is. 2008. It's Dennis Gunnarsson with problems <laughs> in Dreamland. <laughs> They all sound your made-up songs. They all sound like songs that I would like to see performed on the Eurovision stage. Unfortunately for you, and this will come as no surprise, uh, that that is, that is no points for you, which is what I needed. Because yes. as we learned from the spreadsheet earlier, I am four points behind. Here is... James, you ready? This week's One Second Song, I'm going to say it to you now, and I'm going to watch you collapse in a heap as you realise... But you did know it after all. The one second song is Azerbaijan 2010, Sephora and oh, Drip Drop. Oh, of course it was. You are my man, you are my health. Tell me what's happening. song eventually finishing two places below today's big guest Ovi during the grand final of Eurovision 2010 but I've already teased this to you James before we started recording an awful lot of thought has gone into the tenuous link between this week's podcast and this week's one second song have you got any idea no you sort of said something about backing singer so I imagine there's a backing singer that is related to Ovi and the song you just played there that's all I've got I'm going to say there is a certain backing singer who performed for both of those songs uh, you'd be incorrect and actually the backing singer thing is nothing to do uh, ah. with this week's one second song uh, I said to James uh, when we weren't recording earlier on there that I was amazed at how many of the backing singers at Eurovision 2010 had performed at other Eurovisions go and check that out for yourself uh, no right strap yourselves in everybody this is the tenuous link between this week's episode and this week's one second song now Ovi was born in 1974, which coincidentally is also the year that ABBA won Eurovision, but that is genuinely coincidental. Now, Ovi has spent a lot of his life in Norway. In fact, his first dalliance in the world of Eurovision was in Melody Grand Prix in 2006. Now, who represented Norway at the Eurovision Song Contest in 1974, I hear you ask? Well, it was Anne-Karine Strom with the song The First Day of Love. Now, Anne-Karine Strom also happens to have represented Norway 
at Eurovision three times, 1973, 1974, and 1976. On her last appearance at Eurovision in 1976, she sang a song called Matahari. Now, Matahari was, of course, Azerbaijan's Eurovision entry at this year's contest. So what was Azerbaijan's entry in the contest that Ovi represented Romania in 2010? It was Sephora and Drip Drop. That that is tremendous, Rob. That is... (laughs) That is some hardcore investigation. I cannot even tell you how many tabs I have open to have tried to retain and remember all of that information. But yes, I am very proud of that. That is absolutely ridiculous. If you, first of all, guessed the song correctly, which I imagine a lot of you did because it it was very easy now to think of it. Well done. But if you managed, let us know if you did. If you managed to guess the tenuous link between that, then fair play, do let us know. Oh, wow. Uh, there's nowhere else to go is there after all that I think it's probably time for us to say goodbye Uh, normally you have to wait until next week before we tell you who the big guest is but I mean we've already mentioned that we're talking to them on social media so we may as well tell you now who will be joining us next week James you have been in conversation with Michael Keeley Irish head of delegation the man who was in charge of everything to do with Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest and I chatted to him uh, about half an hour before we recorded today's episode And it's all fresh in my mind. And it's safe to say uh, he's very open. He's very open about everything, particularly to do with the selection process for 2022. So make sure you tune in in seven days' time. If you listen to next week's episode, you may even be able to pencil in a date for the Irish Eurovision selection on the Late Late Show next year. Michael gives us that piece of information along with as james said an awful lot more as well it is exclusive after exclusive on next week's episode so join us and michael keely on next week's episode of the euro trip we're also going to do our best to get the boys from aussie vision back on because we do love those fellas we certainly do but in the meantime don't forget you can keep in touch with us on twitter and instagram at eurotrip podcast and on the email hello at eurotrippodcast.com and don't forget to subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars but for me james it's goodbye and from me rob it's goodbye Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, Sean. Yeah, you, you, you begin, you begin the dance. <laughs> <laughs> this pirouette that we will take ourselves on for the next time. Yeah, this um, triple salco on the ice. I've only ever been ice skating once, and it didn't go very well. Yeah, I didn't. I think, I think, I knocked myself unconscious when I maybe first or the second time I went. It didn't go as badly as that. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Wow, I was talking to somebody the other day and they told me the story of how when they went ice skating they got their hand run over by somebody on skates. What, the blade? Yeah, that went as well as you can imagine, really. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.